Hello folks, welcome back to the RLS podcast. We're on episode 63 um, and we are here with John Johnston, um, or you might know him a little bit better as Football Mindset on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever you're uh, you're on your social media. Um, I've actually, I've probably followed John for since 2017, I want to say, although you may not know it. Um Kind of briefly met him probably at a pie stand in 2018 at a Trent versus Kerry Thistle game. Um, again, he probably didn't know it. Um, yeah, John, how are you getting on? I'm good, mate. I'm really good, thank you. So if you've been following my journey since then, that's kind of that's the start of it, or certainly down the football mindset journey round about the date that you're stating there or the year that you're stating there. That's kind of the start of it. Yeah, um, I actually can't remember how I came across you. I do not have a Scooby. I think it was probably at that point based around kind of my game um at that point i think i was i was kind of in a development squad at, at under 20 level at forfar and playing juniors at the same time and i think there was a lot of the, a lot of the things we're probably going to speak about today were things that i was struggling with um i probably relate back to kind of myself quite a lot when i'm asking you these questions because i think mindset work is something i've probably done quite a bit of obviously being a coach myself and that um but mate for anyone that doesn't know um who are you? How did you get into this kind of line of work? So my name is John Johnston and I have a business called Football Mindset. So in short, I work with professional footballers and basically I'm a, I'm not a psychologist, but you could kind of say it's in that line of work. And the way I'd summarise it is I'm a mental skills performance coach. And currently I'm working with lads playing professional in all across the world, in fact, currently got clients in America, Germany, Scotland, so like so the SPL, England, I was at the Scotland, Scotland Cyprus game Saturday, one of the boys I'm currently working with, um, he was involved in that, another lad that I work with, Lauren Shankland, for the last 18 months or a couple of years, he's just been called up to the Scotland squad on Saturday night, so going to the Spain game to watch a couple of the boys on Tuesday, but... To kind of go back to the start and how I got into this line of work, and I'll go through it quite quick. So I left school and I became a plumber. So I'd done plumbing for nine years and I got to the point of, with plumbing, I didn't dislike it, but I knew it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And to be fair, I probably had things going on in my life with regards to the mental side of things. Um, nothing major, just kind of normal late teenager things in life. And then um, I got to the point, so I must have been... 24, must have been 24, 23, 24. And I thought, you know what, with the plumbing, it's not, I don't mind it, but I don't want to be sitting in this van when I'm 65. So I thought, you know what, let's do something different. And at that point, I was still playing. So I played football until, again, I must have been 24. Must have been 23, 24. I played um, not any great level, but I played for, made a few appearances for Trinette Juniors at the end. And... Ormiston, Ormiston now sitting the league below, so they were East of Scotland at the time, the league below Lowland, so I was still playing, I'd played all, all my days, but I absolutely loved, not just playing football, but I loved watching football, so I decided to, through the training that I was doing for the football, I always liked going to the gym, I liked doing road runs and whatnot, so I decided to take myself to Manchester and become qualified as a personal trainer. So when I say take myself to Manchester, I was still doing the plumbing Monday to Friday and then 
I'd get off early up to the bus station in Edinburgh, sit on a bus for, it was about seven hours, I think, get the safari bus down, stay there the Friday night, do a couple of days personal training, um, coach him, come back up on the Sunday, and then that repeated basically until I was qualified. So when I was qualified, I'd do personal training sessions in the morning, I'd do plumbing all day and then personal training at night. And at that point, I was just doing it from... I'd call it the training lab. It was my mum and dad's garage. I'd reverse the car out. I'd roll the roll the astroturf out, and I'd basically train clients. And I'd done. It must have been two or three years, I think, that I'd done both jobs. And then it got to the point I'm like, you know what? Let's make the jump. Let's make the cut and go full time with the personal training. So the personal training business called Pro Titan Fitness. And then it got to the point more people were coming to me for diet and training plans, and I'm like have you had one of these before? And they're like, yes, I've had seven or eight. So I'm like, right, so you've had seven or eight of these before. Is my diet plan that I make up as much as it's specific? Will it be too much different to what they've had before? Probably not, because in, in basic terms, a, a calorie deficit, if somebody's looking to lose weight, any sort of plan with a calorie deficit is going to help. So like, had seven or eight of these before, hadn't worked, what would make mine different? And again, with the training plan, so at that point, I was like, right, let's go away and get more information on nutrition, do more courses, do more studying, again, with the, with the training, become qualified in this kind of training, that kind of training. But results were still the same. They'd lose weight initially, and then they'd be a rebound, or they'd start to go back to where they were. So I'm like, at that point, I had a problem on my hands. I never knew what the solution was. So basically, again, I went away looking for answers, and I came across kind of neuroscience, so how the brain works, basically. And then from that, I go, it was basically these people didn't have diet plan or didn't have problems with their nutrition. They didn't have problems with training. In the nicest possible terms, they had problem with, problems with themselves. Basically, they'd get into a stressed state and they'd find themselves in the fridge or they'd get themselves in a stressed state and they wouldn't go to training. So it's like, right, the mental side is really, really important here. But for me to coach somebody through the mental side, You've got boot camps that'll go five quid a session, or you've got twenty quid a month for all you can all you can train at the boot camp. But somebody got to pay me for nutrition coaching. There probably would have been some, but then I'm like, right. So how do where the mental side was someone I was getting deeper and deeper into. So I'm like, right. I then started to coach people, and this honestly, it was somebody wanting. I remember somebody looking to stop smoking, helping them with the mental side. Somebody. Um, through training, through food, through relationships, you name it, people going for job interviews, I was just kind of scattering myself wide and working with as many people in as many different sectors as possible. But I'd always had, going back to it, I'd always been a football nut, I'm still a football nut. I played football, um, struggled with my confidence when I played football, struggled to deal with other people's opinions when I played football. I always preferred to watch football as opposed to play it. Never turned up every week. I turned up every training session. I had standards, but I never played to no level that I know I'm capable of in terms of leagues or whatnot, but I very rarely showed my true potential as a player due to the mental side. So I always preferred going to Easter Road. I had season tickets for Hibs or I'd go to Anfield where there'd be a car, kind of three or four of me and three or four of my mates would go to most of the home games at Anfield. So I always preferred watching as opposed to playing. But the penny kind of dropped one day and I'm like, I think footballers could benefit from the work that I've got. So I thought, right, let's let's try getting me a manager here 
and then the manager would put the information into the players. So I just kind of started going round different people or trying to get involved because I had no contacts in professional football at this point. And I was trying to get in with a manager and it became pretty clear that a manager, a manager might get six games, might get six months, might get six years. And the mental side of things, it's no new. Like people have been applying mental skills for, you can go back to 60s, 70s for however long, but take a deep dive into it and can he put in systems and processes, I believe it's still can he, it's in its infancy. So as a manager going to take what I've got on board and then apply it through his work and if he's only getting one shot at a job, Probably not. And a funny story on that, the closest I, I came, um, I remember Neil Lennon walking into Asda, so you go back to Trinette Junior, so I was at Trinette Juniors because Hibs used to bring a team down every pre-season. Neil Lennon wasn't managing that team that day, but I was driving along and Neil Lennon and Gary Parker, his assistant, were going into Forrester's Park, which was Trinette. Um, so coming out, I had parked in Asda and I seen that Gary Parker was coming out, he asked after the game, so I thought if Gary Parker's coming out Neil Lennon must still be in there so I went in and asked, I never needed to buy anything, bought something, couldn't find Neil Lennon and asked, came out and there's a, it's like a Range Rover reversing and I looked, I thought that's Neil Lennon so I went up, chapped the window and you could see he was a bit kind of taken aback but by this point I'd already sent Neil Lennon a letter he's like I've got your letter, I know who you are um, I've spoke to Steve Frail, who I'd contact with at that point, was one of his coaches at Celtic, worked with him at Bolton as well. And I says, uh, he's like, I've got your letter, I'm, I'll reply to it. To this day, mate, it's five, six years ago, he's never replied to the letter, but um, who knows, maybe it got lost in the post. But to kind of accelerate it, it became clear that a manager wasn't probably going to implement the systems that I had if he was only getting one job. I understood that. But I'm like, it's going to the players. So... If it's got to the players, let's miss out the manager and go direct to the players. Now, I never had any contact with professional footballers at that point. So what I'd done every night, I'd chuck my TV in the back of my car and I would go around and I would basically just present present to any kids club um, that would allow me to present. And that seen me, whether it was in Edinburgh, whether it was in Dundee, Slotham. And the vast majority of these sessions, certainly for the first couple of years, they were free. Obviously, travelling a little bit further um, later on, you started to get petrol money and whatnot, but I've seen myself doing sessions in MMA, rugby, hockey, girls under 14, rhythmic gymnastics, but anybody that would allow me to talk, I'd talk to them. Pub teams, amateur teams, kids, parents, coaches, and I was just putting loads and loads and loads of hours in while still doing the personal training. That's where my income was coming. And I spoke to this guy, so I was trying to get into professional football, and there was this guy local to me used to go onto the Hibs bus. He still goes on the Hibs bus to be fair to games. And he's like, I know uh, my mate is, I think he was an accountant, but he used to play professional football. He says, he might talk to you. Cool. So I arranged a phone call. And to be fair, the boy was quite, what's the right word? He was very, can he on the, he was very front foot in how he was coming across, which wasn't an issue. Have you done this? Have you done that? And have you looked at what other people are doing? I don't look at what other people are doing in my line of work because one, it causes me to doubt my selling. Two, I don't want to be a carbon copy of somebody else. So, basically, the, the call was ended by him saying, no footballer will ever pay you for what you've got. Try cricket, try golf. And he was saying it for a point of view. Fo- professional footballers will take something for free, but the minute it comes to paying, they're not interested. 
one month later, I got myself in front of John Souter, who was at Hearts at that point. And John Souter became my first professional client. So for one month, one month after being told no footballer will ever pay me for what I've got, try cricket, try golf, John Souter became a client. I worked with John Souter for 18 months. He was Hearts Young Player of the Year twice in that time, made his Scotland debut. And I think he signed a new contract. John Souter turned into, say, like, see Chris Cadden, who's my longest serving client now, Scott Wright, Greg Dockery. Greg Dockery, somebody that I've still worked with all these years. Chris, I've worked with all these years. And then slowly but surely, it just it evolves, whether it's working with lads at international level, lads playing in European finals, or lads down south. And I, I noticed, I realised I've kind of went on with that answer, but ever since leaving school, it's kind of get, got me to this point where now 99, 99.5% of what I do is with professional footballers. I do one session the last Sunday every month with kids um, through an academy. But apart from that, everything that I do is one-to-one -one with professional footballers. And in that period, I have put together or I've managed to kind of do between three and 4,000 one-to-one sessions with professional footballers. So there's been loads of time, experience and reps kind of through that period, again, that has now led me to this point. Now, I realise you've not spoken for about 12 minutes and I apologise, but that's how I started and that's kind of what I do, mate. No, mate, I love that. Um, <laughs> that's a, it's an interesting story as well because you have just, you've put yourself out there and not accepted no for an answer and just continually shown up even without getting paid for it. Um with that kind of idea that it is eventually going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, mate, it's an interesting story, an interesting kind of um, way that you got there as well. And, mate, the question that I was like, I was really wanting to ask you in terms of all the hours that you've worked with professional footballers is that what is what are some of the main trends you see showing up um, with the players that you work with in terms of the things that they struggle with? Um, I know for me, when I was like a young player, it was head loss when I made one mistake. It was anxiety before a game and um, building things up in my head and making them so much bigger than they actually were. It was things like that. I don't know if that's things you see. Yeah. I know, definitely. So what I would say, number one, the things that I do with players, and again, whether that's going back to the start at grassroots or whether that's now with lads that are playing with Scotland or whatnot, is everything that I'm working through with them is what I wish I had at 14, 15 year old. So I wasn't completely shot to bits, but my confidence wasn't where it needed to be. I thought that my confidence levels, you were either born with confidence or you weren't. And it was just this, it was a set thing. But as your confidence goes up and down, your level of resilience goes up and down. And I didn't realise the inner game was something that you could work on. So my way off, my way can he solve and what I'd call my inner game struggles at that time as well were game solutions. So I would train harder, I'd eat better, I'd lift heavier, I'd turn up earlier, I'd get more touches. If you were to watch me play on a Saturday and I you'd probably look and go, right, so I played centre half and I captained most of the teams I was playing with, but off the ball or can he when we didn't have the ball, I was sound heading and tackling, communicating, keeping a shape. I was really, really I was sound with that. But when it came to in possession, I was unsound. You'd look at me and go, he needs to work on his touch. He needs to work on his passing. But I could take a touch and find a pass on a Tuesday and a Thursday at training. But for some reason, when I crossed that white line, I couldn't do it in a game. 
So back then I was trying to solve minor game struggle with an outer game solution. Did it help? No, it actually done the opposite. It, it made it worse because I was then working on something and I wasn't getting the I wasn't getting the solution. So I'm working harder and harder Monday to Friday because I do training out with the Tuesday, Thursday with the club. And then when it turned up to the Saturday, it was exactly the same, if, if no worse, because I was now working harder and wasn't getting any results. So it just kind of put, it just put on a kind of cycling, it put on a loop. So that's the first thing I would say. Anything I'm working on with players is what I wish I had back when I played. And second thing on that, no matter what level you play or any level that the listeners play, what you experience will be exactly the same as what international footballers experience. And everybody's different, so everybody's unique. So what you struggle with, the next person might not struggle with. Um, what they struggle with, you might not, and vice versa. But like if you, if you put an international footballer in this call, he'll struggle to deal with mis- making mistakes at times. His levels of resilience at that point, for whatever reason, will be low, and he'll struggle to deal with making mistakes. Or he'll struggle to deal with other people's opinions at times, which I certainly struggled with, you might struggle with. And the reason why... The reason why that is we all struggle with it at times. Our resilience levels are low in order to deal with those things. Now, granted, the consequences of you making a mistake on a Saturday will be different to the consequences of them making a mistake. So the consequences for them could get hammered on social media, could affect contracts, income, all that kind of stuff. And who knows? Sometimes it might even affect the family. The family might cop abuse. Some players, unfortunately, give the ball away and some some weird kind of way in the world, it it then leads to racial abuse, which I I don't get. Um, But the consequences for them making a mistake can be different, but they'll experience exactly what you experience. And then when players come to work with myself, there's kind of two, two, probably two main reasons someone will work with myself. Number one, they're struggling. Like, they're really struggling. Um... So they're struggling and they need to go, right, I need to find a solution to what my problem is. But there's another side as well. Some lads will work with me because they want to tick every box. They're no struggling mentally or they don't feel it's a massive struggle and they don't necessarily have to address anything. But what they want to do is when they retire, because listen, they only get one shot at it. And I could, the thing is for me, I could go and create a successful business when I'm 55, when I'm 56. But for these lads, they can't do it when they're 55, 56. They've got until they're 36, 37. Maybe if you're a goalkeeper, slightly older. So they've only got a very small window. So they need to make the most of it. And some players will come to work with me just so when they get to the end of the journey in football or the end of their career, they don't want to look back and go, what if I'd done that? And that's why, again, first client I took on, John Suter, that's, that's why John worked with me because he just... He wasn't struggling, wasn't struggling massive mentally. He didn't think there was anything mentally. It's like, right, I need to get that fixed, so to speak, or I need to sort that. He was one that he wanted to do, and I believe he still does. He does absolutely everything he can to give himself the best chance of getting the outcome that he wants. And for, to go back to the original question that you had stated, I think the vast majority of things people struggle with is other people's opinions in some form. So like you struggle to deal with other people. Well, you struggle to deal with making mistakes or you get head loss after you make a mistake. 
probably find if you made that same mistake and there was no, if you were in an empty park and you made that mistake with nobody watching you, you probably wouldn't bat an eyelid. You probably wouldn't get the head loss. Why? Because there's no eyes on you. But for these lads, they walk in, the receptionist, they'll judge them or have an opinion. They'll go to the physio, they'll have an opinion. They'll walk into the changing room, teammates will have an opinion. Speak to the coach, speak to the manager, then they train. And they've not even stepped out on a Saturday yet in front of 50,000, 60,000 people. And then they get home and depending what level they play, could be millions of people have got got an opinion on them or their performance through things like social media. So I think the vast majority of struggles that players have, I think you can tie it back to what other people think of them at that moment. Um, but it can be making a mistake. It can be pre-match pressures. It can be maybe your contract's up in the summer. Um, how do I deal with that? So every player's unique in the struggles that they have, but you do start to find common threads when you work with players across a number of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I certainly always find them relating back to like my kind of journey in football was that any time there was like a, a head loss or a loss of confidence or I was worried about like a coach that I kind of put on a pedestal, his opinion, it always went back to physical work. It always went back to having that like chip on my shoulder. Right? I need to graft harder, train harder. Like for me as well, I had a bit of a problem with like eating less, getting in better shape. Um, and that was always my thing. But I never once considered the mental side of the game, not until I was at least 22. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And again, I, I fell into that boat and it wasn't until, it wasn't until I was, must have been 24, would it be 24, 25? Um, round about that time of saving, I discovered neuroscience and you went deeper and deeper into it. That's when I got a right good grasp on how important the mental side was, just not as, sorry, not just as a player, but also as a person. Yeah. Um, no, that's it's interesting, mate. And so something, again, it's maybe overlaps a little bit with what you've just said, but like confidence on match day, how do you, is there anything that you've kind of implement with a player? I mean, I've done some, and again, you, you maybe tell me these are legit techniques or you maybe tell me they're a load of nonsense, but some of the things that I've obviously done in the past, and this is maybe a little bit airy-fairy, but I always kind of imagine um, myself almost stepping into a, into a zone. I can't, I can't remember who told me this, but I was like, like take a physical step like into into a zone before a game and I'll always do the same thing when I run onto the pitch probably picked it up off Scott Brown I'm not gonna lie you know the little diagonal mm-hmm. stupid run and then jump yeah, up yeah. for a couple of headers like I've always had that in it then I'll take a couple of deep breaths I don't think nobody anyone else on my team knows that I'm doing this take a couple of deep breaths and then that's when I feel like I'm I'm in state as such I don't know if yeah, that's yeah. kind of legit but, but what I would say is if you come here and you're or you've jumped on this saying I do a certain thing if you say that works for you, or you feel that works for you, I'd say crack on. Yeah. Regardless if I think, oh, that's it's not something I would do or whatnot. Um, if something works for you or if the listener's doing something and it works for them, 100% do it. And whether that's, whether it's a legitimate kind of help or whether it's just a placebo, who's me or anybody else to say it stop, to stop it? So if it works, 100%, I would say crack on. Um, now, what I do with players... I look to put a system in place for players. Um, so I think that players, whether it's nutritionally, whether it's physically, tactically, technically, recovery-wise, they have systems in place, things they do before the game or things they'll do during the game or things they'll do after the game. But when it comes to the mental side of things, 
quite often they wake up and they just hope that they're confident or if they're no confident or no feeling the way that they want to feel, they just, right, let's just get through this. Um, so I look to put systems in place for before, during and after and I kind of call it a, it's like a mental toolbox. So it's a, a bunch of tools. So if you take, take a joiner, for example, if he was going to hang a picture, he'd maybe need a hammer and a level. But if he was then going to, if his next job was a kitchen, he would need a lot more tools. Now, he might need the same two tools, but he'd need a lot more as well. So different jobs require different tools. So if you take a player heading into a pre-season friendly, I think he should still have some sort of mental approach for that, but it might be a lot more basic than if he was heading into a international game or a derby, for example. But not just because it's an international game or not just because it's a derby, but you might find that there's something going on in their personal life just for a run-of-the-mill league game. There's something going on in their personal life and due to that, they might need to use a couple of extra tools or whatnot or they've been doing really well recently so they use a couple of less tools. So I'd always look to put a system in place for before, during and after a game. And it'll look different for all players have got access to the same tools but how players use them, when they use them and whatnot is kind of what makes it specific to them. But in relation to your question of creating more confidence, I think that a massive part of confidence is evidence. So if you're if you're a midfielder um, and you're like, right, I want to have I want to create more confidence in my ability to play forward or take the ball under pressure or score or whatever it might be. Right, so what evidence do we have of being able to do this previously? And what you'll tend to find, and again, the listener will be the same, we'll spend loads of time working out why we can't do something. We'll spend loads of time focusing on our weakness and whatnot, um, or our weaknesses and whatnot. And how often do we spend time reminding ourselves why we can do something or what our strengths are? So what I would say is a good way to look to build confidence is look to create evidence or look for evidence. And I would then correlate that evidence. So whether it's through photos in your phone, whether it's through um, footage in your phone, or whether it's writing out, whether it's pictures or whatnot. And I even have a, I have a document um, that I use for business. I don't look at it too often, but if I, if I was ever kind of shot to bits with, in terms of business and can I get client results, I've got a document, I'll probably have 20, 25 different results that I've got um, for players or players that I've worked with and it's their pictures. So again, it's that same kind of concept, evidence that I can do what I say I can do. Um, and I think every player should have that. I'd call it a kind of, and this isn't being religious, but I'd call it a Bible because a Bible is something that you look at or people look at every day. So I think everybody should have a confidence Bible correlated with the evidence that they can do what they're looking to do, something that they can look at. Maybe you're not going to look at it every day. But for me, if you then, if you have that and then you go into your next game, the next game's then an opportunity to write another page. So I actually done this on a the session I do with an academy and a young lad had asked and he's like, so how how long should I do this for? I was like, don't stop, keep keep this going. And he was, I don't know, he'd have been about 13, 14, but he could still have that kind of, that thing evolving and that thing growing for the next 20 years. And that's not just football. 
that could be somebody going for a new job, that could be somebody in terms of fitness or whatnot, say somebody's looking to lose a bit of weight, where's the evidence that we've done this previously, where's the evidence that we can do what we need to do in order to get that result, and remind us really that more often, because if you've done something once, for me that then shows that you're more than capable of doing it again, unless there's something completely untoward, like say maybe a mental thing went wrong, or whether it's a physical state completely changed or whatnot, I think if you've done something once, and there's no a massive change, so to speak, because if we use, right, so you've ran a marathon once, you're now, you've lost a leg, for example, it's then got to be a lot tougher, but if we're not talking an extreme change like that, having done something once, I think it's a great kind of incentive and great evidence to create confidence to show that we can go and do it again. It's actually really strange because I can think of like two examples where I've already been doing this without the actual awareness that I was doing it. And it's like, sometimes if I'm feeling a little bit of self-doubt around about my business, like I'll scroll through my Instagram, look at like all kind of results that I've got clients or look at kind of some of the stuff that I've produced in the past and go, actually, this isn't half bad or even something that probably some of the boys at football would probably take the piss out of me for doing this, which is maybe yeah. part of the problem. But literally like watching, you know how all the teams have these VO cameras now, um, even like the junior team. So we can basically yeah. watch all, all our footage back. I posted a couple of years ago, we wouldn't have seen any of it. Um, and like I was having a bit of a spell when I was like, I'm winning headers in the box, attacking and defensively, but I'm well, more so attacking. I'm not getting them on target. So I was like, like, what do I, what do I need to do? Like, and I kept watching it back. I was like, right, I'm winning these headers. Like, what's, what's to say I actually can't get get these on target? And it was, it was like a confidence thing that I hadn't scored a goal in a while. So I was like, well, you're winning them. So there's a good chance you could bloody score one. So um, I suppose I'd already been doing that a little bit. And, and again, that's what I would say, like, some of the players that I work with, prior to working with me, they're never, they had never looked at the mental side of their game in any great depth. And then after a while, or you might go through certain things and they're like, I was doing that, maybe not consistently, and maybe I never realised I was doing it. So some, again, maybe some of the things that I talk about on this, um, listeners will be thinking, oh, I do, I do that, but it's the consistency in doing it and the quality doing it. So it's not, oh, I do it every six weeks or I do it when I'm shot to bits. Because that, that's a big thing, like to be confidence and whatnot. I always think it's like, if you take the analogy of a garden, if you do your garden once and you spend all day on it and you get it looking absolutely amazing and you don't touch it again for a year, you might have spent all day on it, got it looking absolutely banging, but in a year, it'll look, it won't look great. But then again, if you go, right, you know what, I'll spend half a day on it twice a year. Again, in six months' time, your garden won't look great. Although you spent time on it, it'll not look that great. But if you spend five minutes on your garden every day, or you spend ten minutes on your garden every day or every couple of days, you'll have a banging garden throughout the year. And it's just a case of maintaining it. And you're... The mental side of things is like that. At times you'll need to, you just need to top up. You just need to add a wee bit of water, right? I'm confident, but I could be a wee bit more confident. Add a bit of water. But then again, you might go, right, there's some roots here I need to rip out. Me telling myself that. Why am I believing that? Why am I believing that I'm not a good player? Right, that root needs to come out. It needs to be overhauled. But again, just doing that on a consistent basis as I say, you keep watering that garden, it's like your resilience levels, your resi your resilience levels, your confidence levels will go up and down, but we don't want anybody to be thinking, right, struggling with confidence, let's work on it, struggling with resilience, let's work on it, 
whether you're struggling with your confidence or your resilience or no, keep topping it up, keep topping it up, because when it does drop, it might not drop as much as if you've not worked on it. And I see a lot of players will go, it's like the roller coaster, work on it, feel amazing, stop working on it, feel crap. So start working on it again, feel amazing, stop working on it, feel crap. And it just, as I say, just massive ups and downs. Whereas I'd look for consistency um, in what they're doing. Yeah, I think that the, obviously the analogy of like a muscle as well works pretty well there. It's like confidence, resilience, building muscle. It's the same thing. Like if you don't work it, it will atrophy. It'll it'll go back the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's obviously a pretty good way to think about it. And do you feel like there's now less resistance from players and more willingness to actually work on the mental game than there was maybe even like five five years ago? Are more people kind of looking into this side of the game now? I think there is. Um... Probably not enough players, but I, I do think there is. Um, I think you had, was it Ben Chilwell? He came out last week. Um, he spoke about it. I know that certain clubs now, I don't know if every club, or probably not every club, has a psychologist and whatnot. Um, I work out with clubs. So I work one-to-one -one with players as opposed to with the club or as opposed to inside the club. And maybe people think, oh, I've got to say this, or of course he's going to say that. But I do think that working with someone and even if somebody's listening to this and it's to do with their work or whatnot, working with somebody outside or out with that organisation, I think, can be more powerful. Because if you've got a player and he's, he's out of contract and, well, the season's due to finish in a couple of months in Britain, so you're out of contract in a couple of months, not sure whether your manager's got to give you a new deal or not, and you're really struggling with your confidence levels due to that, and you're then no performing at the levels that you know you're capable of, which reduces your chances of getting that contract. So you're like on the cycle. If you go into the club's got a psychologist, or you got to go to the psychologist and say, I'm really struggling with my confidence here, or are you got to think, if I say this, will he tell the manager? If the manager knows I'm struggling with confidence, he's not got to play me. If he doesn't play me, I'll not get a new deal. So quite often with that, Maybe football clubs, some football clubs won't be the kind of safe space or players won't feel that they're the safe space that they need in order to be vulnerable because that's the biggest thing. Whereas if you're working with somebody out with the club, you then know, well, he doesn't know my manager or this doesn't get fed back to the manager. So I can say what I need to say in order to get to the root cause of my problem um, in order to then go and create a solution. But no, I think there is. I think there is more players that are working on that side of the game, whether it's in their club or whether it's out with their club. And I think that obviously more people or more players are now speaking out saying they're doing that line of work, which I think is a great thing. No, mate, that's class. Um, no, that's class. I just, I always think to myself, like, if I could imagine, if I could extract the confidence that I have taken the ball, like, I, I always think about myself as well, because I'm a very kind of basic, like, head the ball, centre half, um, yeah. head it, clear it, kick it. I always wonder if I could extract the composure that I have in a training session to take the ball at the sky. Like it comes out of the sky from 50 yards in a training session, I'll happily take it down. But in a game, it will literally just get wellied. So that's like, I mean, not so much now, maybe maybe a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I always wonder what I could what I could do in the game if I could extract that little extra bit of composure and confidence in my own ability. Um, it's, it's an interesting one. I know it doesn't always work like that. Um, but yeah. Also, mate, for you, you're uh, running a hell of a lot of five k's just now. <laughs> Aye, so I had um, at the start of at the start of the year. So in Scotland, they do the Doddy Weir 
or the Doddy Weir charity. So Doddy Weir passed away with MND. So at the start of the year in Scotland, now I thought it was a four-week thing. I thought it was through January, but it's actually six weeks. So they do an MND awareness thing. Um, and I thought, right, I'm going to join that. I'm going to do that. Because I'd watched a couple of documentaries and one of them was with the guy Rob Burrows, but his mate Kevin Sinfield, who does, he does crazy kind of, He's raised millions and millions for MND for obviously his mate Rob Burrows, who unfortunately suffers from it. So I watched a couple of, a couple of the documentaries and I thought, right, I'm getting involved in that. So with that, what I thought was I'll do 5k a day in January. Um, so I started out doing my 5k a day in January and I completed it. Yeah, I got it over the line and then it was like, right, well, what next? Where, where do we go from here? But Turned out towards the end of the January, I then realised that the MND awareness was actually a six-week thing as opposed to a four-week. So I completed the six weeks and then I gave myself a couple of days. I'm like, right, where am I going with this? But I just kept doing the 5Ks for the next couple of days. And then in that period, I thought, right, we're going 5K a day for a year. Um, And I thought, you know what, I'll do it. I'll put it out there on social media. I'll... My dad, unfortunately, he's got cancer, so I, I was going to do it for cancer research and whatnot. And I've just never got round to making the posts. I've never got round to setting up the Just Giving page and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not sure how many it is, 85, 86, 87 or whatnot on recording. So I'm just buying out 5k a day. Um, the aim is to do it for a year. And it's just the consistency. And again, going back to the mental side of it, like when you say 5k a day for a year, you're like, oh, that sounds a lot. But it's like 5k for a day. So I'm recording this. So at the time of recording this, we are at 2012. But I woke up this morning, right, five, 5k. So by the time I run it, I put my time down to... I done my quickest one actually yesterday, which was 22 minutes, 50 seconds. But I'm averaging 24 minutes, 25, and that's quite comfortable. So by the time I then get my shower and whatnot, say I give myself an hour, so I wake up each morning, instead of seeing it's 5k a day for a year, where's the hour in my day that I can do 5k? Then I wake up tomorrow, I do exactly the same, and do you know what, the, the first couple, I was looking back on my times, I was around about 28 minutes, the first two or three that I'd done, and my knees were creaking, and all that kind of stuff, back at the start of January, whereas now, as I say, I've went and done a, uh, 22 minutes 50 I think it was I done yesterday and that's the first 5k that I've done with under 23 minutes so we're, we're getting there and just get up do my thing and who knows mate maybe one day I will get around to putting it putting that target or that aim on social media and set up the just giving page but nah the the 5k a day for a year will get it'll get done that's class, mate. It's it's quite an interesting science experiment as well. There's not many people that have actually like run that many five Ks in a row. So it's interesting to see how your your body then adapts to be able to do that every single day. Is it? Do you feel like you've have you got a bit of soreness, or is that just is your body kind of getting very used to it? It's it's funny, mate. I'll I'll be honest. I've never done a warm up for it. I've never done a cool down for it. I've never stretched for it. I've never seen a physio for it. The first few, so probably in the first couple of weeks, um. I could feel, like, you could feel, the big one was, uh, I don't think it was, pains up the shins, now whether that's shin splints or something else, and then I was like, right, 
get on the grass more often because I was doing the pavement. So I thought get on the grass more often, which inevitably has helped or it did help at the time. I'm not so wary. I'm not so wary about getting on the grass now, but I'll be honest, sometimes I'm like run along, right, we'll jump on the beach or we'll go through the field or whatnot. So I'm not as aware of, right, let's get back on the grass here. But I've not felt, I've not felt my kind of body since the start of January. It's just, to say, I'm no warming up, no cooling down. I know for a fact, now I've said this, I'll go and do my hamstring or whatnot, but I'm just basically just churning them out, mate. And there's no, there's no recovery to it. There's no, I shower every day, but I'm no bathing every day. I'm no doing all that kind of stuff and stretching and it, my body has basically just kind of taken to it. But what I'm going to do during, when the football season finishes, um, I'm going to go seven miles in seven days or seven miles for seven days. So again, the 5k is still getting hit, but I'm going to go seven miles for seven days. Um, but I'm going to do that in the close season because I'll be doing a lot less sessions with clients and whatnot. So I think that'll, the body will get a bit shock at that point and maybe I will need to start stretching and warming up for seven miles in seven days. But I think I could be wrong, but I think once I get the first two or three out of the way with that, I think I'll be sound. And then what the cool thing will be, if I can get that over the line, seven miles for seven days, when I then come back to the 5Ks, they, again, they'll feel simpler or easier or whatever the yeah. term is, or that's that's what I'm thinking anyway. Might turn yeah. out to be different. No, it just it shows you, mate, but the body's highly adaptable and it, it will just change to the demands that you put on it on a daily basis. So I could understand how that would work. Um also, mate, you've you've got a book. Um yeah, yeah. when did when did that come out? Was that a while ago now or is it? Yeah, so uh, when was lockdown? So it was basically I remember with business with lockdown, it was a case of at the point I was like, Oh, no football, like panicking, like the league closed in England and then it was getting shut in Scotland and I was like, oh, no football, I'll need to work on the mental side during lockdown. Or, and you you never knew how long it was going to last, but I'll be honest, I, I very quickly realised that if there was ever a time for a footballer to work on the mental side, it was during lockdown, that's when they needed it most. But I was like, right, I remember telling myself, in struggle, there's opportunity. I truly believe that. We all go through struggle, but I think there's opportunity or we've got to find opportunity in the struggle. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to crack out a book. So the spare bedroom had been, I had stripped it because the plasterer was due to start and he was starting a couple of days after lockdown, lockdown hit. So I had this room, obviously, hadn't been plastered due to lockdown and whatnot. And... I just said, I've still got pictures, just put the chair there, just put the table and two days, four hours and two days, um, I cracked out the book, mate, so it was like over eight hours and then what I'd done, I was looking at different different players to interview or who could I, who do I know that would potentially interview, so I then done the interviews, which obviously took a bit longer. I remember John Collins lives along the road, so John Collins used to play with Monaco, Celtic, Scotland, he lives along the road for me, so I remember jumping on the bike, cycling along, sitting in his garage, interviewing him, because um, obviously it was social distancing and whatnot at that point, so he sat at one end of his garage, I sat at the other, interviewed him, and then um, my dad's mate, 
believe it or not, he can speak French and he translates like university papers, but he also does editing. And he said to me, he says, listen, if you're if you need anybody to edit your book, um, he says, I'll help. And to be fair, the book, as much as everything I wrote, every word and whatnot, if it wasn't for Alistair, the editor, my dad's mate, um, the full stops, the comma, commas, the grammar and whatnot would not um, can he read as it does. But now nah, master your confidence, the elite footballer's guide to high performance. So it's on Amazon. What I have done since, the front cover has changed from being red to being black. All the contents of the book is it's still the same. And whether you're as much as it's written for a professional footballer, whether you're playing Sunday League and you want to improve that side of things, whether you are playing um, Saturday amateur, no matter what level you're playing, 100% you'll be able to take the principles of that book and adapt it to your situation. Quality, mate. Um, that's class. Last little question. What's kind of next for you? Any goals in terms of your business or just yourself in general? I know we spoke about your running. The What's next for me is to make a consistent break into the English Premier League. I've worked with players that have played in that league. I don't have a client that's kind of active in the English Premier League as it stands, but that would be the that's the one that I would see for myself next, breaking into that consistently. Um, maybe having a wee bit of a better stranglehold on the championship. So I've got three or four boys playing in the English Championship. Um, but from that side of things, certainly the English Premier League is a goal. Uh, but that might happen. There's still a few weeks to go this season. Who knows that might happen this season. But then again, it might happen in a couple of years. But it might never happen, which I'm sound with. Um, if I get to where I want to go, that's cool. Um, if I don't, I can live with that. I've I've put put a lot of effort in, put a lot of time, put a lot of effort in um, to get to this point. And if I fell short, I could I could sleep at night. It wouldn't bother me. Based on the the evidence so far, I, I think the only way is up. Well, here here's hoping, mate. Here's hoping. But the thing is, when you're on the way up, there is only one. There's only one way if the direction of that is going to change, and that's back down. But uh, you just just that's try life. your best and see. Ah, exactly, mate. It's life. You you try your best. You see where it takes you. Um, you help people. The more people you help, the more people are willing to help you. I've found. Definitely, mate. Well, mate, thank you very much for uh, for coming on the podcast. There's a lot to take away from that. Um, massively appreciate your time. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on, mate. Thank you.